Want more of the Josh Scanlon podcast? Please. Please. Here you go. The Josh Scanlon podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Josh Scanlon podcast. This episode first appeared as a video on my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash heritage wealth planning. I hope you find it informative. Thanks. Welcome, my friends, to another edition of the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. It is a Friday afternoon. Just took all my kids to babysit, took my other kids to go play tennis. Today is going to be a short video because I want to talk about a follow up to what I did yesterday with the durable powers of attorney. <clears throat> Today, I'm going to talk about living trust and the revocable living trust, inter vivos, uh, give me more like uh, inter vivos trust, uh, revocable living trust, uh, living trust. All of these are synonymous, the exact same thing. And so I'm looking at my client's estate doc, uh, is this thick again? It's actually fine. I mean, it's drawn up fine. They, you know, they don't need the vast majority of it. But the number one issue that you need to be prepared to answer if you're going to talk to a good financial planner or a good estate planning attorney and you have a living trust or you're thinking about setting up a living trust, who is going to be your trustee? All right. So I'm going to explain this now. So how living trust works is you are a living trust. It all flows back to your Social Security number from tax perspective. Has nothing to do with avoiding estate tax. Nothing to do with shielding your assets from Medicare, for heaven's sake. I don't know why you should anyway, but we'll get in that in a different rant. A living trust, all it does, two things in particular. It provides management of the assets that are inside the trust, inside the trust, if you're incapacitated. It provides, uh, here's, I got to go back here. Here's my Heritage Wealth Planning t-shirt. It provides management of your assets if that... Uh, when you die, after you die, for assets that were funded, the trust that were funded into the trust. All right. So, only thing a trust does, it will provide management of assets to assets that are funded in the trust. I cannot stress this enough. An unfunded trust is not worth this shit of paper right here. It has to be funded, which means the asset that you want to be managed. In your incapacity or at your death needs to be retitled so the trust owns it. Now, when you do that, you are the grantor. You're granting the property, kind of a gift. I hate to even use the term gift because a gift is insinuates that you don't own it anymore and control it. It's not true, but you're granting the property to the trust to own. And mo the vast, 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 vast majority of times when you are the setting up a living trust, you are the grantor and you are also the trustee. And both those things are important because you're taking your property that you own. Josh Scanlon owns his property. So it's in my name, my name only, or my name, my wife, Charlotte, joint tenants with rights to survivorship. We're granting the property to the Josh Scanlon and Charlotte Scanlon joint living trust. Or, if, you know, some states will have Josh Scanlon trust and I'll have half. And my wife will have Charlotte Scanlon trust and have half. Either way, we're granting the property to the trust. So now the trust owns the property. Josh Scanlon as a human being no longer owns it, no longer owns it. But Josh Scanlon as a trustee, I have un un unfettered, unencumbered access and control of the property 
which means I'm responsible for take, paying taxes on it. I could be, you know, my trust could be sued and I could be sued as a trustee. All that stuff is applicable. Nothing changes that regard. I can actually even take the property out of the trust and turn around and give it to Joe Schmo down the street. Anything regarding a living trust, if I'm the trustee, I have full unencumbered access to it, full unencumbered decision of what to do with it. I still have to pay 100% property tax, 100% income tax, capital gain tax. I still own it. Absolutely. That's not, no one's going to debate that. On top of that, I can also renege on the trust and say, I've canceled this outright and just turn it back to joint tenants of rights of survivorship where I own it, my wife owns it together, or I can just put it in my name, whatever I want. It's completely contingent on me, the trustee's decision on what to do with it. Now, Josh, the grantor, again, so I'm wearing two hats. One is I granting property into the trust, and the other is that I'm managing the property within the trust. So Josh, the grantor, I wants Josh, the trustee, to manage my property in the way the trust document describes, all right? So it's just for simplicity, you got Josh, I don't want to manage this anymore. I want the trust to own it, and I want to hire a trustee. And again, hire is a pretty flexible word. I want to hire a trustee to run it for me. And so I'm using, again, most likely me, Josh, the trustee to do that. All right. So that's the most important role of a trust is who is a trustee. The grantor is easy. The grantor is just deciding to give the property. To, I hate to even say give because you're not really giving it. There's no, you're not relinquishing your ownership stake in it. it is, and you know that for a fact because the IRS will never ask you, uh, to file gift tax 709. They're never going to ask you to file the IRS form 709 when you grant property to a trust. So I just hate to use that. But at the end of the day, it's kind of what you're doing. You're giving the property to the trust to be managed by this guy. Again, this would be me, Josh, as a trustee. Does that make sense? You got three people in here. You got the grantor, you got the trustee, and then you got the beneficiaries. I'll get in that later. But so remember, I'm giving the property to the trust. Most of the vast majority of time, I am also the trustee and I'm managing the property. I can do whatever I want. And it all flows back to my 1040. So you're not doing anything from a tax perspective. Nothing changes in that regard. A real property on real estate, there could be a little bit you know, in terms of county courthouse needing different titling. Is That's that's completely contingent on the bank. A lot of banks, if you're refinancing, you got to pull it out of the trust. Put it back in your own name before you refinance it is a pain. But at the end of the day, nothing changes in that regard. But when you're talking about just regular assets, intangible assets, CDs at the bank, mutual funds, whatnot, you just retitle them into the trust, easy as pie. All right. So that's what the, the first two things. You got the grantor and you got the trustee. Then you got the beneficiaries. And I'm going to push that off to the side for just a second. The most important thing of a living trust is not these two people, the grantor, the trustee, because typically you're going to be both. You're going to be the grantor and you're going to be the, the trustee. The most important person or persons in the plural are the successor trustees. Who manages it when you are incapacitated or you die? That is the most important person because don't forget an irrevo a revocable living trust becomes irrevocable at your death. At your death is irrevocable. The people you named a successor trustee will be caught, will have to step up to take their swings. And if they're unable to, or they're dead, or they've got Alzheimer's or something like that, then what happens next? What if you don't have any contingencies in your trust document, which a lot of times they don't, to manage it? Then the trust, again, is not worth its weight. It's not worth anything. But even worse than that, it might be a court order that's got to decide who the successor trustee. 
But also because a revocable trust can't be changed at the death, then whatever your wishes were are irrevocable. They can't be changed unless by a court order. How much does that cost? How much time and energy is that going to be spending? So I'll give an example. Let's say you name two successor trustees. Previous marriages, one successor trustee from husband's side, one successor trustee from wife's side. And you're saying we're going to name them as co-successor trustees. Well, how do decisions get made? Because remember, it's irrevocable at your death. Well, this, whatever the trustees decide is how decisions can get made. But what if Bob over here and Jane over here, they don't agree? A lot of times you're going to have unanimous consent. So if you have two co-trust successor trustees as unanimous consent, if Bob and Jane don't agree, nothing is done. And that might not be the worst thing. So a lot of times you have a trust document that says we're going to have three successor trustees and then it'll be not unanimous, but just majority rule. Well, you can see, you can see where that's going. So you got Bob, Jane, and oh, Joey. <clears throat> what if Jane and Bob like something, Joey doesn't like it, and now Joey's ticked off at the world because he feels like he's odd man out and he doesn't agree at all with what Bob and Jane are doing, especially as two different marriages. What if Bob and Jane are on one side and Joey's on the other side, and they're just basically saying, we're going to take advantage of this to all we can to kind of minimize Joey's interest in his, his I mean, to be honest, minimize his, manage, his, his uh, management stake because it's you know, majority rule. Too bad for you, Joey. We're taking over this. Sue us. And they're going to say, Bob and Jane have the legal rights, according to the trust, in which to make majority rule decisions. Joey, you're odd man out. Too bad. So sad. A lot of times I've seen you have three trustees from marriages, and it's unanimous consent there, too. So now you got Bob and Jane over here, Joey over here. Joey feels like he's getting shirked. Joey says, I'm never going to make an agreement to these guys. These guys are scoundrels anyway. Regardless of what you think, it may or may not be right. What gets done then? Nothing. Nothing. What if tax laws change? And all of a sudden now you have to do law. So remember here, tax laws change. All of a sudden that trust is now irrevocable and cannot be adapted to a new tax laws unless potentially your provisions in the trust say your successor trustees can make changes according to whatever they feel appropriate to keep the property as valuable as possible during any tax law change, administration change, whatever. But now it takes a unanimous vote of three. And Joey over here feels he's odd man out. He's like, I'm not doing that. You nothing else to spite Bob and Jane. You think that doesn't happen? Oh, yes, it does, my friends. Yes, it does. So now all of a sudden we're back to 2000, the late 2012. Obama and Boehner, instead of doing what they did, which is good for America, which they came to an agreement on tax policy, can't come to an agreement. What happened to sunset provisions of George Bush's tax law for he signed in 2003? The estate taxation went all the way back. Remember, zero. There's no estate tax. There was a two years, I think, 2010 and 11 or 11. I can't remember. It was like two years. There's no estate tax. Previous to that, in 2002, the exemption was $675,000. That's it. $675,000. The estate tax back then was 55 flipping percent. So now Jane and Bob are seeing it one way, Joey's seeing it another way, and Joey feels like he's odd man out. Obama and Boehner can't get agreement on a tax law 
2013 comes along and all of a sudden the tax laws were based on 2002. Now what happens to distributions from the trust need to be made. Someone's going to make those dis distributions. Well, it's a successor trustee. Successor dr trustees can't decide on what to do. The distributions stay in the trust. If the distributions stay in the trust, capital gains, interest, or dividends, if they are not distributed, distributable net distributed or distributable net income, DNI, if that is not moved from the trust to people, beneficiaries, and it's retained in the trust, you know what the tax rates are for a trust income? It's the highest taxes in the land, but only eleven thousand dollars of retained income or twelve thousand, whatever it is. I don't even remember. But if this was the case back. That'd be back in two thousand two. I have no clue what it was. But just right now, today, income that is retained in the trust, anything above twelve thousand bucks, give or take, something like that. It's like twelve thousand two hundred or something. Anything that's in the trust that's retained, that's not distributed, is taxed at the highest tax bracket in the land. 12,000 bucks, my friends, $12,000. All it takes, if you have a mutual fund account in there, have a large capital gain distribution, $200,000. I told you about the lady who had $200,000 of American Century mutual funds, had distributions of $40,000. If, if that is held in the trust, that trust is gonna lose 40 cents on the dollar of all the distributions above and beyond the 12,000 bucks. Not good. Why do I bring this up? Because I, if you got this estate doc this big and you have no idea what's in it, you're not going to look at it very often, if at all. You're relying on your attorney. And let's just say every time your attorney calls you, he's trying to adjust the update the trust with amendments to deal with the current tax law. And it's cost you fifteen hundred bucks every time he does that. He only does it twice, you know, one or once every three to four years. But still, you're like, man, every time this guy calls, he's trying to update it for a fee. And you're somewhat suspicious of that. And it might be right. It might be a good thing to do. What is that back there? Okay. I thought that was on my head. I was like, what is that thing? My wife just put that up. But at the end of the day, you're paying 1500 bucks, and you don't know what you're getting out of it. And now you look at your trust. You're like, I don't want it. You're thinking, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or maybe it's not valid. Or maybe it's good. I don't need to change it. Because that attorney, the only reason he's calling me is because he wants to get a quick fee. And that might be correct. It might be. But you don't know. You don't know. And yet you have this document that has successor trustees in there that may or may not get along. And it might not have been explained to you or it might have been explained to you fine on the front end. But you still it has been five, six, seven, eight years. Hell, it's been 15 years maybe when you got it done. I know a lot of people got this stuff done in 2012 to deal with the uh, the changing pretending, uh, potential tax law is going to go revert back to 2002. What if it got done in 2003 to deal with the Bush tax laws? And you're like, hey, this is great. Now you find out you've you've uh, disinherited your spouse, but you have no clue. No clue. Or even worse, what if you didn't put any money into the trust, any assets in it anyway? Then you have this big document that's irrelevant anyway. That's probably sometimes the best case in there, just your own ignorance of not funding the trust. And when you die, you're like, oh, nothing good transferred by trust because it wasn't funded. And you're like, well, thank goodness you're, you're up in heaven hanging out with God. But you're saying, ooh, ooh, I made a big mistake by putting Uncle Bob as my uh, trustee. And he's, you know, you know what I'm saying? He's, and I don't want him being a trustee. A lot to contend with when it comes to estate planning, my friends. A lot. The successor trustee. Who is that person? So let me ask you. You have a trust, a living trust, a living trust. Who is a successor trustee? 
Where does that person live? Who are, does there a, six, a co-successor trustee? Is your successor trustee still a, applicable? Not, that's not the word I'm looking for. Still up to snuff in order to manage your affairs during your incapacity or at your death. It might just be your spouse. That's fine. Your successor trustee, more power to him or her. Who's the successor trustee after that person though? Because a lot of times your spouse will be your co-trustee and a front end. So a lot of people, you know, they kind of look at Josh gets incapacitated. My wife steps in as a, as a co-trustee. It's not really a successor trustee. It's more than semantics, but some people think that's a successor trustee. It's not. The successor trustee is who kicks in after the two or the original trustees are gone or incapacitated. Where does the trust, who is it? First of all, who is your successor trustee? What's the stipulations for that person to act on your behalf during your life or at your death? Is there a co-successor trustee? Do those two people, if there are, what's the provisions for them to be able to make decisions? Is it unanimous? Is it majority rule? What is it? Where do these people live? Does one live in Montana, one lives in Texas? That'd be kind of a challenge. What happens if those people are hurt? Who's a, who's a successor trustee to them? So much to think about here. And just, if, I'm just saying, I'm not saying don't get a living trust, but if your state isn't that big and your whole point is to try to avoid probate, man, there's so many different ways to do this. Yes, incapacity is a, probably the number one reason you should, um, probably one of the number one reasons you should get a living trust. But durable powers attorney, like I talked about yesterday, can handle all that for us. What are we at here? So, I mean, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying at the end of the day, what are we trying to accomplish? If it's just simple probate avoidance, eh, no way. If it's the manager accounts while you're incapacitated and your, your state isn't that big, durable powers attorney can do that just fine. If it's to manage it at your death because you're worried about some crazy um, ex-spouse of your daughter or something like that or whatever, I'm just throwing stuff out there. Yeah, then a trust makes sense because you want to make sure that crazy ex-spouse or crazy spouse even doesn't get access access to your hard-earned cash. Absolutely. All right, so just answer those questions. Who is your successor trustee? Where does that person live? Are there two successor trustees? How do they operate? What do they got to do to manage your trust in your incapacity or at your death? All stuff that's important to know. Has your, up, has your trust been updated with the changing tax laws? Heaven forbid you did a trust in 1999 haven't updated. I'm telling you right now, you're wrong. You are wrong. That trust is way out of whack and it needs to be updated. Absolutely. Lastly, who has your trust been funded? What are the assets in your trust? What are the assets in your trust? And if you're not really sure, I, 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 I abhor, not abhor, I'd encourage you highly to look into that for sure. All right. Hope you have questions. If you need help with all this, by the way, I don't ever say this. You just go to the website or call me. I mean, I can help people. I charge fees for it for sure. But by all means, if you want to talk about it, I'll, I'll talk to you in blue in the face. I love doing this stuff. If you have a state docs that are this thick and you haven't looked at it long, in a long time, I, you know, my goodness, you, you don't have to talk to me. Find a good financial planner. Just say, hey, I'm going to put this on your desk. I want you to look at it. I'll come back and collect it in there a couple of days. I would, yeah, I'm going to go on a limb here, but I would go to a good financial planner who's competent to read estate docs before I went to an attorney um, 80 times out of 100, maybe 70 times out of 100. And the reason for that is because I do worry that some attorneys are going to be very keen on redrawing the stuff. 
drawn up amendments or codicils uh, as a codicil. Yeah. A codicils for a will and amendments for a trust. Um, and I don't have a problem. I literally don't have a problem with that. I just, I just wonder, I don't know. I, I'd have to put that back on you. I, I think going to a financial planner who's competent, who can read the docs and say, Hey, look, this is what I see. Here's the ways to plug the holes. I can't do it for you because I'm not an attorney, but we'll go talk to somebody who is an estate planning attorney and they can do that for you. Again, that'll be for a fee too. Um, I think it'd be worth your while, certainly worth your money. If your estate isn't that big, I mean, I'll just throw a number out there, a million bucks or less. I just, you're fine. I mean, just don't, I'm not saying don't get a trust. I just, what's the point? I mean, just literally what's the point? Now, again, if you have beneficiaries, all right, that's the third, I just got to revisit this. The third point of a trust is the beneficiaries. Who's going to receive it at your death? And that's pretty important. If you have beneficiaries, you're trying to protect from themselves because they have issues with spending, spendthrifts. They have issues with giving it away to too many people out there. They have some crazy spouses. Yeah, in that case, you need a trust to make sure it's managed appropriately so they don't just blow it up their nose or give it away to you know, that Nigerian prince that uh, keeps emailing us because he just loves us so much. Um, I don't have any problem with that without question. But at the end of the day, um, if, if you're pretty confident that your your heirs are going to do just fine or you're saying, hey, you know, make the mistakes, then frankly, you don't really need a trust. All right. Well, that's it. Uh, don't forget to subscribe there. Hit down below. Hit subscribe. Hit the notification bell to be notified of future content. Thumbs up are always helpful, my friends. I'm telling you, the more thumbs up I get, the more YouTube says, hey, this guy's doing content that people like. Let's get out there in front of other people's eyes. And again, don't forget to put comments down below. I'd like to hear your history with trust documents, estate planning attorneys, even financial planners. Um, yeah, I'll let you talk about that. We'll see you next time on the Heritage Wealth Planning YouTube channel. And don't forget to go to heritagewealthplanning.com uh, for all the blogs. I'm starting to do a lot more podcasts as well. And, uh, and I'll see you there, heritagewealthplanning.com. Thanks, guys.